Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And guys, the Orioles are no longer in first place. The dream is dead. Uh, it was long lived. <laughs> it was. I mean, <laughs> it was longer than I thought it was going to be, I guess, if I'm honest. I didn't think they'd be first place at any point in the season. That's fair. Yeah. It, it really never should have happened. I feel like we do get off to a good start to seasons a lot of the time, though. So if if we were ever going to be in first place, uh, this past week was the time. That's true. I think the, I saw a graphic. The Orioles have like the third most winningest record on opening day of any franchise or something like that. I think the Mets right. might be the number one team. So, you know, you win on opening day, you're going to be in first place for at least a day. Now, is that home opening days you're referring to, or is that regular opening days? Just all opening days. Ah, okay. So not like, yeah, so the first game of the season, not right. home opener, none of that. But, um, yeah, so, so they we, have one day plus. That. Yeah, they, they were in first place for what, like a week. So that's pretty good. Um, but that did not continue because the Orioles, since the last time we recorded, we're recording this on Tuesday in between games one and two of the doubleheader with the Mariners. The Orioles dropped the first game there. So the Orioles are now one in five since our last podcast recording and um, are slipping down these standings. Um, they got sw- they got swept by the Red Sox uh, in a brutal series at Camden Yards and things have not started well against Seattle. Um, is this more the team we kind of expected to see this year, Jesse? Yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is the <clears throat> this is the Orioles. So and this is what it's going to look like for the rest of the year, probably. Yeah, that noise in your throat you just made, that that's what the, that's who we expected the Orioles to be. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, I mean the week's been rough and we're gonna kinda get into what made the weef the the weef the, the week rough here. We're all having a tough start <laughs> to the game. We doubleheader games are weird this year. We're talking weird, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so the big thing that has happened this week, and Jesse actually pointed it out in our text message, and then I saw a tweet about it. A couple minutes later, the Orioles became the first ever team to strike out 13 or more times in five straight games. So, Jesse, were you like, did you have an alert on? How are you keeping track? How did you know that that was going on? Did you go back and look at that? What was going on there? No, uh, I think Palmer or somebody said it or, oh, or, okay. so, or something. Right. Yeah. Then I'll just delete everything I just said. I you <laughs> don't get any credit at all. You were giving me a lot of credit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah, it's been rough. Uh, I mean, Eli, are you seeing anything in particular from this team as to why they're striking out too much? I mean, I didn't expect them to be this strikeout prone. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing, like, the Orioles are not going to be good as is, and the key pieces in our lineup that really stabilize things that make pitchers work are not performing. You know, uh, Trey Mancini has had a couple bombs recently, uh, but he, Santander, Mountcastle, really nobody who you need to perform in order to put pressure on a pitcher is doing so. And, the, you know, everything that they do not contribute takes away even further from the rest of the lineup. Yeah, it's been a rough season to start from the guys you need to produce, like you just said. And another one is Freddie Galvis has really struggled out of nowhere. I didn't expect him to be, you know, an offensive force, but he's really been a problem. And he's basically the only guy that can play shortstop. So he's going to be put in the lineup every day and strike out right now. It seems like two times a day. Um, I don't know, Jesse, if you're seeing anything different, but is this kind of, I mean, were you expecting this many strikeouts from this lineup? Um, I mean, probably not this many. Um, I mean, part of it might be uh, part of the, uh, what might be going on is it, we did just start the season. So guys are, are still getting their timing down um, and trying to get, uh, you know, get into the season. Um, but with that said, I mean, I do think this is going to be a team that strikes out a good amount. Like Eli was talking about our heavy hitters in the lineup are strikeout prone um, let alone the guys later in our order. So the only guy who probably won't strike out really this year at all is going to be uh, Mullins up at the top. So um, everybody else in the lineup for the most part oh boy. is Eli has some thoughts. Fair share of <laughs> I think that is a gross overreaction to a week and a half of good performance. That yeah. dude strikes out well, all the time historically. <laughs> y- yes yes i mean i would i think you're overdoing it a little bit in the opposite direction oh, okay. but Let's I, look I, it up then. but i feel like he's 
I feel like he's going to be making contact for the most part this year. So I mean, I, I don't think he'll be. I don't think he'll. I think he'll probably end the season with a 280 average or something wow. along those lines. But, um, but I don't think he's going to strike out like like he has in the past. I mean, in the past he's been totally overmatched, and as of now he's clearly not overmatched. So I but think even that even like stay. the best hitters anymore strike out like once every two games at least. And if you you know he's been more like a once a game type of guy most of his career, I would imagine. Eli, does your research back that up? 21% of the time strikes out. So one in every five at-bats, that's pretty much – or it's close to one a game. Yeah, as a leadoff hitter, it is what I expect it to continue being. Yeah, I mean, it is problematic, though, because while I didn't expect this team to strike out much, I also didn't expect them to hit a ton of home runs. I think guys like Mountcastle, Santander, uh, Mancini are like your 25, 30 home run type guys. Franco is going to be like a 20 home run guy. But those aren't – that there's a big jump between that and a 50 home run guy, which it's sort of in that 40 to 50 range. You can start to be okay with 150, 200 strikeouts a year. And the Orioles just don't have a guy like that. So I'm a little concerned about it. It's also, like you said, it's early. They face some good pitching and Garrett, you know, Garrett Cole's really good. Jordan Montgomery seemed to really have some stuff working in that first game uh, with the Yankees, but like justice Sheffield just had a nice little game against them in game one here. Like that's not really the caliber of pitcher that I think the Orioles should be Kang against over and over again so it is a little worrisome but the lineup's all cold at the same time that probably won't continue the Orioles I think have you know a top two-thirds of the league type of offense on most days I think right now this this level is not going to be what we see most of the summer does anybody disagree with that no no I I I definitely think we'll pick it up but I still do think we'll strike out in the process okay well that's not a very hot take that's very no. And the Orioles historically have been built, you know, for a lot of strikeouts. So yeah, right now this is a new regime. You know, it's not it's not the Showalter Duquette hit home runs at all costs. That's the problem. Is that it's not a power or nothing. It's it's a nothing kind of situation right now, which is a problem. Just nothing all around. <laughs> yeah, the offense is the problem. I mean, the pitching, which we're going to get to in a second, has been. Uh, not fantastic, but better than I thought it was going to be. Right. All right. Well, let, let's get to the pitching. And unless you guys have anything else to add, let me know. Stop me. But we'll get into the pitching now. Uh, the starting rotation this last week was not terrible. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman had another good outing. He went six innings, but everybody else kind of got stunted at that five inning mark. John Means today threw five, five plus. Matt Harvey threw five. Um, Dean Kramer, the first time through, got shellacked after his third inning. Uh, Jorge Lopez has gone, I think less than, I think in the fourth inning, he's kind of started to have issues both games. So, you know, we're kind of seeing the problem with the starting rotation, at least that we sort of anticipated, which was that they're not going to deep, deep into ball games. They're relying on the bullpen a lot, which has been hit or miss, but what do you think about this sort of average of four and a half innings per start? Is this a sustainable process throughout the rest of the season? Eli, maybe I'll go to you for that. Yeah. Uh, the short answer is absolutely not. It, you know, this is the reason that the Orioles have brought in guys like a Wade LeBlanc, like Adam Plutko. That's the reason we've been stockpiling depth at, you know, in the high minors. We really, really do not have the ability to, you know, go through a 162-game season, especially after a 60-game season where, you know, like we talked about a couple pods ago, you know, the league leader in innings last year threw 80 innings. Uh, so you're going to need innings from everyone you can get them from and seeing the starting rotations struggling, you know, to this extent, this early on uh, is nothing short of extremely concerning. Concerning, although probably a little predictable, right, Jesse? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the long men, you know, are supposed to be there kind of as an emergency force uh, to be utilized, not, to be uh, something that you rely upon uh, routinely for the number four and five starter when they come around. So um, it's definitely going to be a problem if the starters aren't able to eat up the number of innings uh, that we hope they will. The Orioles are going to try to shuffle people through to reduce the workload basically on everybody, but there's only so far, there's only so much that you can, that you're able to do with that. And that has limits in, in its capacity. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, the starting pitching is going to have to figure something out because the long men, we can't use uh, Plucko and LeBlanc two or three times a week. Um, that's just not a sustainable force moving forward. So, um, yeah, the Orioles have to have to figure out a way to get deeper into ball games. Yeah, I mean, what I would say is I'm not totally unsure that this isn't sort of the plan anyway. I don't, I don't know that Elias expected Jorge Lopez, Matt Harvey. I think Bruce Zimmerman's probably played better than was anticipated so far. John Means, I think, looks legitimately like he's probably pretty good. Uh, I know he wasn't particularly effective. To, well, he was pretty good today. Five innings, three runs. He's not great, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely serviceable. You'd like him to go get into that sixth, seventh inning a little bit, but he didn't have his best stuff today. I think John Means is going to be fine. I think Bruce Zimmerman looks like he's probably going to be okay but I'm not entirely sure that this isn't even, this is part of the plan even because they know they've got Zach Lothar coming up sometime soon. Uh, Michael Ballman, probably Alex Wells. They've got these guys that I think they want to get up here in May or June, something like that anyway. So sure. It's rough now. I'm not saying those guys are necessarily going to go six or seven innings either, but this was sort of always a delaying tactic, a survival tactic that hopefully can get us a little bit deeper into the summer. Anyway, I don't know if I feel good about that. Do you guys feel good about kind of asking the young guys to sort of come up and hopefully be the, the, the life raft for them. I don't feel good about it, but I'm excited for it to happen at the same time. You, you, you know, the, I, I think that the Orioles, this is part of the development plan, like you said, and it's a consequence of where we are, but in terms of the on product or the on the field product, it's not encouraging. Yeah. I think honestly, it, it's it it is kind of scary because you don't you're not really supposed to rely on rookies to produce. You're not really supposed to have any expectations for them. You're bringing them up as a rookie to see how they do, to let them get integrated into the major leagues, etc. And the fact that they are such a heavy part of the plan, as you're talking about, because. Um, that is likely what the Orioles are going to try to do. The fact that we should be relying on the Harveys and, um, you know, guys like this, the veterans, the LeBlancs to be able to get us through the season. And um, the fact that we can't, it's going to put a lot of stress on their future development moving forward. So I think yeah. that's problematic from that perspective. Yeah. I mean, w w I don't know. It's tough because it's not like, they're expecting them to come up and help us make a playoff push. It's come up and we want to see what you've got. That's sort of the plan is I want to see if Zach Lothar can get through an order two times. Same thing with Ballman and Alex Wells and all these guys that if they can't, they're not major league starting pitchers. And you, if you can learn that this year, that's helpful for the future. And I'm not saying if Lothar has a bad year this year, he's not going to get another chance next year, but this is sort of part of it is you, you need to get them up here and learn what they can do. And, no, you don't necessarily want them to come up and feel they need to throw seven innings, but you do kind of want to throw them into the fire a little bit. It's not a pennant race type of fire, but it's a, you know, we got to find out what we've got in you sort of fire. Let's jump back to the offense now, which we just talked about how much they've been struggling, but they're hoping to get a shot in the arm here with the return of DJ Stewart from the 10 day IL on a hamstring injury. Uh, so far, you know, as a, as of us recording this, he's been two for six with a double three walks and a strikeout. Um, what do you guys think about this? Eli, I guess I'll go to you. Uh, what are your thoughts on DJ Stewart returning to the lineup and what sort of impact do you think or hope he can have on the Orioles offense? Yeah, I, I think the first thing I should say is that I was not as much of a believer in DJ Stewart as you were over the course of the off season. Uh, but you know, he's come back and he's looked really good. I've seen him, uh, today he added another one to, or one for three to that line that you mentioned. Um, and Part of that was spraying a ball the other way for an RBI single. And that's not something that he really did. You know, we looked at him as a three true outcome guy. His approaches look pretty good. Uh, you know, he's been drawing a lot of walks. I feel good about it. Uh, and I think that, you know, as we might chat a little more about momentarily, like Ryan Mountcastle has looked terrible in the field. So to give Mountcastle a little break, get him back in, focus on swinging the bat for a little bit. Uh, I think having another outfielder in the mix is really nice right now. Yeah. And Stewart's one that they've, they've put him right into the second hole in the order uh, for this second game of the doubleheader as we record, which I think is indicative of what Hyde thinks of him and where he thinks he can take this offense because scuffling, but you know, you inject one source of energy in there and it can turn things around a little bit. 
Um, so yeah, I'm excited about it. I had him in my opening day lineup. Um, it seemed like Hyde really liked him and, and that's sort of bearing out here. Jesse, what are your thoughts on the return yeah, of Stewart? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing for him is that he really just needs to demonstrate that he can be a consistent baseball player every day. Like this is a, a, a very streaky hitter historically who, um, when he looks good, he is, you know, hitting a lot of home runs in short spurts of time, but, um, other times, completely is a black hole in the lineup so um yeah he definitely has to try to find a way to demonstrate that he can hit consistently in the majors um in order for him to be productive in the lineup yeah I mean he was a guy last year hit a lot of home runs but it was a little bit fluky so we'll see what he can do over a longer period of time Eli's point on the left field situation is interesting because while DJ Stewart is not um, a particularly adept fielder in left field. The Orioles have had some issues at the position right now. So Eli, do you feel like this is an upgrade? I, Malcast is obviously going to stay in the order in the lineup every day, most days, but do you feel like Stewart's glove is sort of a big um, sort of underlying upgrade here as well? Yeah, I think it's an upgrade right now. Uh, we were chatting before the pod and one thing I looked up Ryan Mountcastle's uh, baseball savant page, you know, just to stat cast metrics. And one interesting thing, was he's actually got like a mid 70 70th percentile sprint speed you know the dude moves really well um and i think you know there's some fraction of this that is a result of mount castle being relatively new to the position but right now he's definitely a liability and so when we're talking about uh our pitchers having short starts when we're talking about the bullpen needing relief you know dropped balls in the outfield is not what's going to give that relief to you. You need everything as shirt up as you can. So I think that DJ Stewart uh, is an immediate upgrade, even though he's not exactly a strength out there. An upgrade is very valuable at this point in time. Jesse, do you have uh, something different to say there? <laughs> no, I, I mean, he, de- he obviously is a better fielder than Mountcastle, but he's definitely not a, a, a plus in the field. So um, he's, maybe what we have right now, uh, especially with Austin Hayes out, but, uh, long-term he's as of now, he's not the defensive left fielder that, uh, a competitive team is hoping for. Yeah. When I think of DJ Stewart in the field, what I think of is that game that he was, he got a concussion. Exactly. <laughs> where he, yep. he dove head first. The ball was nowhere near the ground yet. He misses it completely. It hits him in the head. And then he's out for again on the IL, which has been a recurring theme for Stewart. I, I think we were all thinking that you just <laughs> yeah. vo- we were the first to vocalize it. So, yeah. Well, yeah. it's pretty damning on Mountcastle that that is the person who is an upgrade defensively, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not a good look. To say the least. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's talk Mountcastle then, because that is sort of been a big, uh, you know, topic of discussion on social media this week is what to do with him. Obviously you want his bat in the lineup, even though it's been rough so far, but you know, he's got the talent there, had a really good, Um, cup of coffee with the Orioles last year but it's been weird he seemed okay in the field last year he's not seemed okay this year he made a couple pretty bad errors in back-to-back games last week it seems like he's kind of gliding to the ball rather than getting to the spot and catching the ball so I mean I don't know Jesse what do you think about Mountcastle's defense what is the situation what do you do with him from here right so uh, moving forward I think the big thing about him is that Uh, we need to find a way, I think, to get him into the field. Um, He is uh, mainly going to uh, be useful to the Orioles uh, with his bat. But we need, I I, I think, to increase his value um, moving forward, the Orioles need to find a way to find him to at least be competent at a couple positions. Uh, most of the time I would like to see him start at first base over Mancini and have Mancini DH. Um, and in other situations, I want him out in left field, um, at least some of the time. Uh, I think the Orioles obviously have to try to make some adjustments with him defensively, but, um, I think that, uh, there's no benefit to having him DH most of the time right now, other than to give the Orioles the best defense on the field for that game. Um, But long-term there's no benefit to having Mountcastle be our DH. So I think the Orioles need to try to find a way to 
get him to be competent at one, at least one, if not two positions out in the field. Um, and then he, if he hits like we expect him to, then, I mean, his value is just going to, uh, you know, rise tremendously. Um, if we just expect him to be a DH, if we just say you can't play in the field, that's it. And we're like, you're the DH moving forward. Either he may not hit as well as, as well as we hope or want him to moving forward. And it really reduces any sort of flexibility the Orioles have. Now we can't go get another DH type because Mountcastle has already restricted that. Like if there was a David Ortiz type player out uh, as a free agent, we wouldn't be able to sign someone like that because, well, we already have Mountcastle and he can't play in the field. He has to be our DH and it just becomes way too crowded like that. Like Mark Trumbo, you know, we can't have a Mark Trumbo on the team. So um, I think he's young enough where the Orioles really need to find a way to try to find a position for him. Yeah, Eli, you were kind of saying something similar before about how athletic Mountcastle seems to be. Like Jesse said, he's young enough. Um, so, you know, what are your thoughts about Mountcastle's future in left field? Yeah, uh, I mean, like Jesse said, you know, a large part of this year, knowing that we're not going to be a successful and contending team, just as much as we need to learn about those Lothers and Wells and Bauman's and high, you know, triple A pitchers, we need to learn about what we have at, in Ryan Mountcastle as well. And part of that, you know, we're confident in the bat, but like Jesse said, you know, if he's a left fielder with, you know, a like 110 WRC plus, that's an extremely valuable player. However, if he's a DH with a 110, that's really not that valuable. You, you know, the only people who can carve out true DH roles in this league are JD Martinez, you know, Nelson Cruz, guys that are consistently putting up 45 bombs, driving in 115 a year. Um, and, you know, th- there's no way to expect Ryan Mountcastle to be that, I'm not saying he won't, but there's no way to expect that out of someone. So you need to push for every opportunity you can to just create some defensive value out of him. Uh, And, you know, given that we did see some moderately okay play last year, you know, I'm still confident we can salvage something from that. That being said, uh, this has like hurt my confidence in him. (laughs) It's also concerning that Hyde has used him as a DH as often as he has to start the season, because I'm wondering whether it's really, if Hyde is putting enough emphasis and Elias probably is putting enough emphasis on trying to get him to be, to find a position in the field. Well, but right now I think it's just like hurting his confidence to be out there and consistently muffing plays, you know, like we can give him time, you know, at, off in some backfield, you know, shagging balls and BP and everything. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think it's better, like, you know, he's still hitting under 200, I think. So give him some time to get the bat right, then let him step in, start working back into the field. I mean, I think there's no rush. So I agree with Hyde there. That's true. Well, And it's also kind of an interesting thing. Like, I don't know what the dynamic is between Hyde and Elias. Who gets to decide? You would imagine that it's Hyde's job to put the lineup out. And is Hyde trying to think, I need to set up the organization for success or I need to set up myself and the team currently for success? If Hyde wants to win games, I get where he's coming from putting Mountcastle at DH because that probably is where his value is maximized. But going back to what Eli said about, you know, a a left fielder with a 110 WRC plus, that's a good point. And it's also if he would move to first base a 110 WRC plus is not as valuable. Same with the DH situation. Um, Something I thought about, sort of in this same vein was what if Mancini and Mountcastle just traded positions and Mancini <laughs> played left field and Mountcastle played. It's still not an ideal situation, but Jesse, what would you think about that sort of plan? Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think that's better. Um, we, we kind of discussed this uh, earlier and I, I was kind of suggesting that Mountcastle and Mancini kind of rotate through the DH left field and first base position. Um, mm. And, depending on who's available, whether it's Hayes, whether it's Stewart, we put different guys out there, whether Chris Davis ever does make it back. Maybe he (laughs) he occupies the first base or DH position. Um, So yeah, but having Mountcastle and Mancini both be going from left field to first base to DH and just depending on circumstance, depending on the day um, 
you know, you put one of them in one place and one of them in the other and hope for the best. I think to, to Eli's point, I think hopefully having him play first base would relieve he's he's definitely going to be more comfortable at first base than he's going to be in left field. Um, so I think that most likely um, in order to relieve some of that pressure um, that Eli was talking about, putting him at first base is, is preferential to left field at this point. And Mancini is not a great left fielder, but I mean, it, it's not, it's not a big deal at this point. So Right. This is kind of this is kind of a cold way to think about it, but I think like I think lead Mancini where he is because you know I think Mancini getting back into Major League Baseball this year, we want him to also have a stable basis because you know either he's going to be a part of the next good Orioles team or he's not. But either way, we want him to be what he is. You know, if we're going to trade him sometime in his final season of eligibility we want him hitting 35 bombs if mm-hmm. we're not going to trade him and we want to keep him around forever we want him hitting 35 bombs and i think trey mancini is gonna you know like for the same reasons as they're pulling mount castle back into dh right now mancini's natural and comfortable position is first base i think i i, I vote for leaving him there yeah and that, i mean that seems to be the plan i would imagine there are going to be games where he dhs and mount castle plays first but um, I, it seems like Trey is the everyday first baseman. So until we see anything different, um, that's the way it's going to be. Especially with the return of Stewart. Uh, he makes yeah. him playing left field a lot less likely. Well, and it, Hayes apparently is getting close to Hyde said today. So that makes it even a little bit more interesting. So we'll see. Um, okay. Uh, offense, back to the offense again. Uh, the Orioles, when we were recording this time last week, actually hit their first home run of the season during our recording. Rio Ruiz hit uh, a meaningless home run against the Yankees. The Orioles have hit nine more home runs since then. They have 10 now total on the season, I believe, which is not great. It's 22nd most in baseball, but it's more than the zero they had. So um, <laughs> the Orioles have a little bit of a power surge here. Man, uh, Mullins hit a bomb. Mancini's hit a couple. Mountcastle's hit a couple, or maybe maybe a couple now. Um so what do you guys think about this? Or, or is this, again, sort of more in line with what we're expecting? This is a team that can hit, you know, two home runs a game and, and win some games with the bats versus what they've been doing to open the season. Uh, Eli, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I think that uh, it, one note on the Mullins home run, he hit that ball at 115 miles an hour. You know, it went like yeah. 420 some feet. I was pretty impressed. You know, I didn't really think he had that kind of pop in him. Um, but yeah, that, that was pretty cool you know everything about Cedric Mullins has been cool this year but (laughs) um yeah this is kind of more of the team I started expecting to see you know Mancini uh Mancini had a couple bombs Santander had a couple bombs Franco got into one you know and just the guys that we were expecting to see some pop out of finally started showing it this past week as we've been talking about the Orioles are still struggling on a large scale, but, you know, to see Mancini going to right center and center field, you know, kind of working that opposite field power as he did in his really good 2019, that's a comforting thing. And so I think the Orioles are, you know, taking some minor steps toward the offensive unit that we were talking about them as uh, prior to the season. Yeah, and to add to that, I mean, I think the Orioles, they're going to have to rely on the long ball a bit. Um, We have three to six hitters in the lineup that should put up at least 20 home runs this year. Um, Six if things go well, and probably three in a a really bad season. So who are the the six? Well, I was thinking, uh, obviously, Santander, Mancini. uh, Mountcastle. Yeah, Mountcastle. Um, I was thinking about Severino, um, uh, you know, if, if like, that's not a definite, but if things <laughs> we're go wavering well, after three, we're wavering after three. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think DJ Stewart could do it. I think, uh, Austin you know, Hayes could if he's healthy, right. Hayes could do it. I think that if, uh, what's his name? I mean, if Mullins bat stays the way it is, he could do 15. Um, right. Yeah. And, and, and Franco Probably isn't going to hit 20, but he has a shot no, I think at Franco it. Could hit yeah, Franco's probably yeah. more likely than Severino, I think, just because Severino's yeah. a catcher. Definitely. And he's hitting lower in the lineup pretty routinely. Right, right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, there, I feel like that's a, you know, a good number of guys. If all of them hit 20 home runs, this Orioles team is going to have a bit of power this year. Um, I think we're going to have to rely on it because I don't know, just like how the Orioles have been historically, I don't think we're going to be playing a lot of small ball this year and manufacturing a lot of runs. Um, basically, the only guys that can really do that are probably our nine and one hitters, um, Galvis and Mullins, and Galvis isn't hitting at all right now. So, But in terms of guys that are going to be bunting a little bit and you know, getting infield singles and um, kind of, you know, situational hitting, moving the runner to third, that kind of thing. We don't have a lot of guys on the team that are built for that. So we we're going to need to hit some home runs. Well, it's sort of on that note, did Santander bunted on three, one earlier this week. We saw that that was <laughs> uh, something. And then I think, was it today? Mullins was squared around a bunt in extra innings Yep. Uh, didn't end up bunting because he got to two strikes, but not loving that, not loving the guy who's hitting the best in the team bunting in extra innings. I want you to hit a double, dude. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not so sure about I, bunting. Bunting for hitting the right situation is totally fine, but sacrifice bunting, unless you are Freddie Galvis who's hitting 150, maybe you go for it, but I'm not, not loving that. Yeah. It, I, I was wondering, you know, like this is part of the interesting thing about the new extra innings rules with the guy starting on second, you know, in that situation, you have Cedric Mullins, who is, you know, arguably the best bunter in the major leagues right now. You know, he had like five, you know, bunt base hits last year. So you have him and you have a situation where you could get that guy. If Mullins converts, you get that guy to third base and you have Trey Mancini, one of your best hitters. And all he's got to do is hit a fly ball to the outfield. Right. Mm -hmm. I, I don't hate that move, especially down one run as we were. I think that, it, you, you know, it's not it's not playing the numbers the way that we typically do nowadays, but you get Mancini, who, as I was just talking about, has started working, you know, opposite field, like larger part of the ballpark and right center. And we know Mancini can lift and we know he knows his job there. If Mullins converts that, I'm not mad at it. We got a guy on third with one out. Yeah, I mean, I hear that. And, and, you know, we could go round and round about this all day. I think if you're I think if you if you're the home team and you don't let the team score in the top of that inning and it's tied. Sure. Mullins can bunt and then you've got a really good chance to score one run and that's all you need. But when you want two runs to win the game, I think you still want Mullins swinging away because the guy's already in scoring position. But but at that point, you have to score the one run. Right. But that's just playing for the tie when you already have a good chance to score the one run because there's a guy at second base with two outs. I don't think that moving him to third with one out really increases your chances of scoring that run that much that it's worth the out. The the way that I look at it is it enables you to have a sack fly or a base hit, whereas the other way you have to have a base hit. So it increases your chances in that sense, you know? Yeah. As you said, we could go around. Uh, around. <laughs> I, yeah. And the, the, I mean, the one other small note about it uh, to kind of support Tyler's point here is all Mullins would need to do is to pull the ball to get a sack bunt anyway, or to have the net effect the of a sack over, bunt yeah. anyway. So, um, yeah, just throwing that out there. All right. Fair enough. Well, while we're on this topic of Cedric Mullins, let's just talk about him sort of outright. Um, He's crushing the ball. He is literally one of the 10 most valuable players in baseball right now. He's in with like Ronald Acuna, uh, Mike Trout, at least top 10 valuable like hitters. I think um, he leads the league in hits right now. He that does. Exactly uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He was tied with JD Martinez for a bit and that that might change today as we're recording here, but yeah, Mullins, I think when he hit, I got a hit earlier today, he is leading again, uh, the league in hits, which is really impressive. I mean, it's not everything. He's got just one home run. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's crushing the ball. I, I, I don't know even what to say. I mean, Eli, what do you think about Cedric Mullins so far? Yeah, I'm just blown away. Uh, you, you know, I was watching him against Justice, ugh, woo, Justice Sheffield earlier today. Um, and, like, you know, Sheffield has been throwing a pretty good sinker recently. And, you know, these balls that are starting, you know, low thigh and, you know, dropping just below the zone, Mullins is just spitting on them. You know, these are good pitches. And, you know, he's showing it, he's showing a discerning eye and a good approach at the plate, which, you know, as we mentioned to or, or as we alluded to earlier, he really never had. You know, he used to strike out all the time, particularly against lefties. He seems like he just comes up with a good approach every at bat. He's spraying the ball to all fields. 
And I've been blown away. This is not the dude that we've seen the past couple of years. This is not the dude I ever thought I would see out of Cedric Mullins. Yeah, he's in 538 against left-handed pitching too. That's different. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I'm a little what? confused, Eli, because a little a little while ago, you know, you thought we were making too, I was making too big a deal about Yeah, I, I, but... I mean, w- w- so so let me clarify. Like, yes, I think, you know, taking this week and a half of outlandishly amazing performance and extending that over the course of a season is still a little like I, I think it's overly optimistic. Well, I was never suggesting I think it's amazing. That, of course. <laughs> well, you said he doesn't strike out. Yeah, I, I don't and... think he's going to strike out this year. Okay. Ever? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's going to strike out very much this year. So Okay. Yeah. I mean, th- this could be like a Chris Shelton situation. Do we remember Chris Shelton of the Tigers where he hit like eight home runs in the first two weeks? Jesse knows. I remember that exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Was his first name actually Chris or was it? Yeah. I know Shelton is right. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. was Chris Shelton. No. He's the type of guy who does not look like a professional athlete. I know that I, much. <laughs> I think he hit like 15 in the first month or something. Uh, we can go check that another time. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I hope it's not something like that. I mean, Mullins already has more of a track record than Chris Shelton does. So I don't want to <laughs> compare him there, but you know, you hope it's a little more sustainable. I mean, of course, he's not going to bat 568 against lefties in the 400s overall, but I think he's proving, hey, I can play every day. You know, I can be a leadoff hitter on this team. I play pretty good defense, although he did have a, a play earlier today where he did not read a ball off the wall very well in center field. But in general, he's really he's doing a nice job on defense. He's doing everything to show, like, I'm an everyday Major League Baseball player, which is not something I expected him to do this time last year. So I'm, I'm amazed too. We'll see how it goes. I don't know. I don't even know what else to say about Cedric Mullins. Jesse, did you want to say more about him? I mean, I mean, not in particular. I mean, I think, you know, it's nice that we have a leadoff hitter now thing about it because we have, don't normally have a leadoff hitter. So, um, True. and he, you know, if we didn't have guys behind them hitting into double plays and stuff, it would be, a lot nicer but um <laughs> that's like but, your, your thing right now is the double plays man yeah, does right, lead right. the league and grounded into double plays yeah and uh yeah so in in any case um no i mean i, I think he's good i mean i de- i definitely think that even though we don't know what his numbers are going to be over the course of the year there's definitely a different approach and i think he's showing that he will not be overmatched and I think that's the biggest and most important thing that he's not going to be overmatched while he's at the plate. So I think based on this performance so far, I think that is what we can assume and draw out of what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of the few Orioles you can go to baseball savant and like most of his numbers are red, which is really fun. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just, it's just been a lot of fun and it won't, it won't stay this way, but I'm really excited about it. Um, all right. Uh, the Orioles this coming week, uh, like I said, we're currently recording this between games one and two of this series against the Mariners. They've got two more against the Mariners before they head to Texas to the COVID bowl and play oh, yeah. a three game set with oh, the yeah. Rangers. <laughs> 45,000 screaming fans with no masks. If there are 45,000 fans at that series, even though they're allowed to be, I will be shocked if a full house well, watches the Orioles and Rangers play a baseball game. <laughs> I, I mean, it's still a brand new park. That's true. And it's the weekend. Right. It, it's a brand new park. It's the weekend and it's Texas. So That's I true. think the, I, I expect a pretty packed house. The weather's going to be nice. You already looked for Texas? No, no, no. I'm just assuming because it's Texas, <laughs> it's probably going to be nice weather. It hardly ever rains in the middle of the desert. So yeah. I think that's, that's a good assumption. Now, the, are the Rangers good this year? I, they're probably no, not, right? They're off. Okay. No, they're yeah, off. I figured they would be because they're one of like, the teams that I felt was worse than the Orioles coming. Right. Here. That was what I was going to say. They're going to be worse than us, and we're oh, bad. Yeah, they, they are bad. Three and seven right now. That's yeah. rough. All right. So, what, I, what do you guys think? Go ahead. Aren't they who Musgrove threw the no hitter against? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. They're bad. 
So we're going to sweep them or what's going on there? <laughs> Two and one. <laughs> Two and one. So we lost one game against the Mariners. I think oh, yeah. we take two of these games and I think we take two against the Rangers for a nice little four and three stretch until our next podcast. Okay. As we're recording, it's tied four, four in the second game. We were down four, nothing came back four, four. So yeah, that seems logical. Uh, Jesse, any, any thoughts there on what the upcoming games will bring? Um, I, I think we're going to be roughly around 500 in that ballpark in that ballpark um well it's a three-game series it it, it, it's a very timid prediction (laughs) well yeah but i'm also accounting for i mean you said four and three so i'm saying yeah yeah, we'll be i mean it is a very timid prediction right you are right lay it on the table right here i I mean (laughs) yeah i mean i'm a little i'm not so confident that those are going to win two in texas uh i mean you know we're the away team that's, oh that's, my god, man! That so means are, something. So are we three and four? <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll say th- I'll say three and four. Since you're since you're making me uh, make a prediction, I'll say three and four. Jesse, hot takes only on the warehouse pod. Yeah, and I, I also uh, so we we play the Mariners two more after tonight. Yeah, it's a four game series. Yeah, so I th- I think hmm, that's tough. Yeah, You're, you said three. Maybe and four. we win. Maybe we win one of those. I I don't know. Okay, so only one and only one. So Jesse thinks we're two and five. Well, no, or we could win two in Texas. But oh my god, what, man! I'm just saying the final result yes, will Jeff. be three and four. <laughs> okay, that's what I'm okay. saying. Final result okay. will be three and four. Yes, and I'll just say they do one better. So I'll say they take three from the Mariners and then two from the Rangers. So oh. going bold, five wins for these O's, and they're getting oh. back to five hundred, baby. They're getting back to 500 is what That's I'll say. Because well, I think well, the Rangers are bad, and I think the Mariners are not especially good. So I, if they, I really wish they would have won game one, which a lot of things indicate they should have won game one. They didn't. So we're, we are where we are. Yeah. Um, okay. So silver lining of the week. Uh, Eli, I'll throw it to you. This is something we, we are going to do in weeks that don't go well for the Orioles, which this past week did not. So, Eli, what is our silver lining for this week? Yeah, so uh, I'm not going to dig into the first one of this as much because we already talked about him a little bit, but it's about the Eminem show this week, Uh, Mullins and Means. You know, Means is, well, it actually just ended today, but he was the first pitcher since Jim Palmer to allow one earned run or fewer in six consecutive starts. Like we've said, he has been... Uh, he's been performing and he didn't have his best stuff today. He gave up three runs in the first two innings and then proceeded to go nine up, nine down. So it, you know, I think that means is really starting to understand himself as a pitcher a little bit. One thing that was encouraging to me today is after struggling through those first two innings, he started working his slider more, which is a pitch that he uses less frequently than any other. Uh, he did not have good fastball command. He did not have command of his changeup, which is normally his best weapon. And he started working in this slider to get, you know, to get hitters off of his fastball. Um, I, I was encouraged by his ability to kind of adapt mid game. You know, he, in his 2019 all-star season, he started struggling towards the end of the year because he was such a one dimensional pitcher. Um, and I think he's starting to become more than that. Uh, he does not have to rely entirely on the changeup. I think he taught himself that today. And I think that's super encouraging for the Orioles moving forward. Absolutely. I'm very excited. It's Means and Mullins, like, is the silver lining this week. But they're both the two players that I'm, I've been most impressed by this year because Means, you know, every start that goes by that goes well for him, I become more into – I buy more into the fact that he can be a legitimate long-term rotation solution. Hopefully, you know, a guy like Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall come up and are a step above him. But if he can be a solid mid-rotation guy, that's a, that's a huge bonus for the Orioles. A two or a three. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I absolutely. think that's reasonable. And I think, you know, the Orioles can be competitive with John Means as their three-starter. I think that's totally possible. Definitely. All right. Uh, and we don't need to talk about Mullins there, I guess, because we kind of touched on him earlier. Uh, we we got all over him. Okay. Yeah. Mullins is awesome. Hopefully he continues to be awesome. So that's awesome. Is that awesome? A lot there. Uh, awesome. Let's, <laughs> let's it move is. to our, 
our guess that Oriole uh, segment. We started this last week. And if you guys did not guess it, the player from last week was Delino DeShields. He, of course, uh, led the Orioles with 37 stolen bases in 2000, uh, played three seasons with the Orioles from 99 through 2001, and has two children who are professional athletes. Of course, one is Delino DeShields Jr., who is a currently a minor leaguer, but was a really big prospect um, in the Rangers system for a long time. And then his daughter uh, plays in the WNBA. So that was for last week. One fact um, about the line of the shields is that when I was a kid, I used to wear number 11 and in large part, cause I liked the line of the shields. So I don't, I don't know that I was like a very good evaluator of him, like as a player and his talent. Um, but mm-hmm. I know that I was drawn to his name, the alliteration. It's a cool um, name. That, yeah. So um, yeah, no, but I, I was a fan of him as a kid, uh, even though I'm not, I was not, uh, very conscious uh, regarding baseball. It's okay. We we you know yeah. we watched the team that's in front of us and the Orioles when we were children were very bad and yeah. Delano De Shields was somewhat good on some very bad teams. I remember my mom would always comment that he never seemed to smile very much because <laughs> she notices things like that. Whereas Jonathan Scope, she liked that he smiled all the time. So that's a mom observation. A mom He's a happy guy. Yes, yeah, Scope. Scope first baseman for the Tigers now. And yeah, just, that's and Renato Nunez is too. Former Orioles crushing. It. Well, not really crushing. Last night. He did. Yeah, I saw he, that. He had a home run last night, so he is crushing. That's true. That's true. Of, of Granky, right? Yeah. The Ephus wow. pitch. Mm. So it wasn't was it the Ephus? Like, no, I didn't see it. Oh, uh, I think it was. Anyway, mm, okay. well, yeah. Let's anyway. keep going. All right, so guess that Oriole, what we do this week, just what we do every week, we'll remind you, is we give you three facts about a former Oriole or current Oriole, it could be, and we post it on our social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You go there, uh, you comment on it, and then we'll shout you off on the show, which I'm just remembering I forgot to look up who to shout out on the show, so let me do that now (laughs) as we stall for time. (laughs) All right, so on Instagram, we got one person to comment. And that person does not even follow us, I believe, but that person is B Tarowski 88, who correctly guessed Delino to Shields. Very good job, B Tarowski. That is correct. And now over on Twitter at the Warehouse Pod for both Twitter and Instagram, uh, Ted Mullen admits that he used DuckDuckGo to list, uh, find the answer, but he got it correct with Delino to Shields. Uh, and then Jason Spears, who is at for the culture underscore J correctly guessed Delano to shield. So congratulations to Ted, Jason and B Tarowski for guessing correctly. Follow us over there for more. Secondary shout out to Ted Mullen, high school friend of mine. So appreciate you tuning in. <laughs> Although he does admit he cheated. So there's that's that. true. I never said he was a good guy, but he's, <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we give you three facts, go over to our social media, Tell us who you think it is, and we will shout you out on the show. So I will give the first clue, then Jesse, and then Eli. So this week's Oriole, the first clue is they had quintuplets at 29 years old. Uh, He was the first player to hit a home run off the top of the foul pole at Camden Yards. Then he was an all-star in 2003 and 2005 while playing for the Orioles. Nice. Three pretty big hints. Again, these are not always the most difficult. They'll probably get more difficult over time. But if you watched the Orioles in the early 21st century, you got to know who this guy is. Very easy. But yeah, go over to our social media at the Warehouse Pod and let us know who you think the Oriole of the week is. So real quick, real quick, I wanted to throw in a couple little notes. We were talking about short starts. Dean Kramer went three innings and has been pulled from the game. But on a positive note, Wade LeBlanc came in and I saw Wade LeBlanc touch 90 miles an hour. I saw it with my own eyes. It happened. And miraculously, he's not pitching right now. And the score hasn't changed. So Wade LeBlanc has gone through a clean (laughs) inning and touched 90 miles an hour while recording this podcast. Momentous stuff. Momentous stuff. That is huge. Also, Mountcastle's got two hits so far. Um, Michael Franco has a three RBI double. This offense is on fire, boy. Boys, multiple boys. Just as we've been saying this entire podcast, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
All right. So what we would like for you to do besides following us on social media, which you know about, is go and find us on your preferred podcast app where you're probably listening to us right now and uh, subscribe to us there and rate us and review us. Five stars, please. It helps us find more listeners. Uh, You can also go to substack.com, thewarehousepod.substack.com and give us your email address and you will get this uh, episode right to your inbox. And you should also go follow at Birdland Sports on all the various social medias. That is the fan-run post-game show of the Baltimore Orioles. Jesse has appeared on that once so far, and we'll do a few more times this summer. And Eli and myself will get involved as well. So go check them out. Uh, Jesse, where can people follow you on social media? People can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Juggernaut8678. I guess I'll spell it out. J-U-G-G-E-R-N-A-U-T-8678. Nice. And Eli? I think I think that's one of the things to look forward to every pod is just will Jesse spell out Juggernaut eight six seven eight. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And, and just a go- man of a man of mystery. Yeah, and you need to go follow him because then maybe you'll see when he tweets the first time this year. It'll be a big deal. <laughs> so go check it. He does post stuff on social. Well, he posts stories to Instagram. So go check that out. He doesn't Correct. do much else. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> and Eli, what about you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg and on Instagram at Ginzy55. Cool, cool. And I'm on uh, Twitter and Instagram at underscore Ty Young and over at CamdenChat.com for the blogs. Um, next week, we're going to talk about those series against the Mariners and the Rangers. And we'll have another guest that Oriole and an, hopefully no silver lining of the week. Just some really positive uh, talk about the Orioles. So look forward to that. Subscribe and you'll get it right to your uh, various podcast feeds. Hopefully an entire silver cloud rather than the silver lining. Exactly. Exactly. It's all silver. Beautiful. Right. Silver and gold as the (laughs) Christmas song goes. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much for checking out the warehouse podcast. Uh, Until next week, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. I'm Eli. Go O's.